Hello, and welcome to the Hello Judges podcast. My guest this week is Steve O'Keen from Urban Brew Barista Academy. Steve-O is the 2023 South African Barista Champion and has competed at WBC twice. We chat all about competitions and a bit about accessibility and advantages regarding different competing countries. Please write this down. This podcast is one part freeze distilled intro to five parts content in order to create the most harmonious balance. You will experience a decadent coating texture. Please enjoy. All right, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Will. It's good to good to be here. Yeah, so it's uh what is it like five o'clock for you over there at the moment? Uh yeah, basically. Five o'clock, right. five PM. Awesome. How's your day been? Um it's been uh it's been interesting <laughs> trying to confirm the the training for the last part of the year, but um almost there, so it's good. And watching some cricket in between. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I guess it's uh it's quite late on in the day for you now. So you're not drinking. I would imagine you're not drinking any coffee. No, like uh, I have all the coffee during the day. I think I have quite a um, I've quite some stamina to drink lots of coffee, but not not willingly at this time of the day. No. What are you drinking at home at the moment? What's your go-to coffee? <sighs> My um. My staff member, Rieta, and my wife teases me a lot because, like, I don't know what to drink. I, I think I get bored quite easily, and I'm very spoiled with, like, a massive array of, of good quality coffee. So, at the moment, at home, I've got, um, got Panama Geisha um, that I'm drinking from a local roastery in South Africa. Um, and I also have some coffee. I recently spent some time in India. So I have some um, coffee from the Indian barista champion, Rishikesh, shout out. Um, he, I have some coffee that he used. It's a, a Ketuai, I believe, uh, anaerobic, which is, which is quite, quite nice. Grown in India, obviously. So that's cool. What Amazing. are you having? Uh, oh, so at the moment, I've got a natural Bolivian geisha. Um, mm. but normally I start the day with like a classic natural or pulp natural Brazil, just something okay. sweet and chocolatey. Okay, cool. Let's get the juices flowing. Yeah. Um, it, there's a lot of amazing coffees coming out of India now, right? There's been like a huge yeah. development in the past few years of really exciting, delicious things. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I must be honest. I, I went to India and I had this preconceived well, maybe bias is a better word, that like coffee is going to be pretty developed, you know, it'll be pretty on the darker side, you know, slightly more bitterness and lower acidity because my only reference of Indian coffee was monsoon Malabar, I'm sure, like many people, right? Um, and I mean, if you say this in India, people kind of roll their eyes. They're like, oh, Indian coffee is so much more than that. And it was, it was incredible for me to experience that firsthand Um tasting some really great Arabica, but also non-Arabica species that was mind-blowing. Um, so if, you, if you're listening to this and you have the opportunity to go to India or to try Indian coffee, I would say do it. Amazing. Let's, uh, let's switch over to South Africa then, where you are right now. Um, I, don't, I don't know a lot about the sort of competition scene in South Africa. Like, how, what's the layout? What, are there qualifying rounds and how does it all tend to yeah. work? Yeah, so we have 
uh, what we call regional competitions. Um, I think this is kind of like your heat, uh, the heats that you guys do in the in the UK. So we have uh, four, five different regional competitions um, where um, anything from, let's say, uh, in the in the area of 12, 15 competitors, we compete depending on the size of the region. And also, I mean, lately it's been quite a bit smaller, but the quality has been has been definitely better. But previously we had like in a region, for example, like 20 baristas compete in one region and only the top six of those would qualify for the national. So, um, and then those five regions, the top six of all the five regions would then go compete at a national semifinal and then the top six would then progress to the finals. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of how it works. Well, that's how it's been working for the, for the past few years. Nice. And do you have the semifinals and the finals like the day after each other or is there a bit of a gap? No, it's it's the same event, um, so yeah. consecutive days. Um, so you kind of go in with the same coffee, same set. Um, that's yeah, typically how it's been working. Amazing. So you're the 2023 South Africa Barista Champion. Uh, talk me a little bit through your competition history. Yeah, so um, I started competing. So firstly, I live in a small town, in uh, a small city, actually in South Africa, it's in the center of South Africa. So people normally ask me, so are you from Johannesburg or Cape Town? Um, or they'd ask me where in South Africa and I have to tell them not from Joburg, not from Cape Town and not from Durban, because those are the three major cities. I'm from a city called Bloemfontein. Um, and uh, it's in the center of South Africa. So people don't necessarily know where it is unless if you're driving between Joburg and Cape Town. So it's kind of in the center. Um, and competition, when I started out in coffee uh, way back in 2015, there was nothing happening here. Uh, I'm pretty competitive in nature. I grew up playing competitive sports. Uh, it seems like it's a thing among the coffee professionals. Um, and, yeah, I just wanted to measure myself. This like guy from a small town just wanted to see where it's at um, against people in the bigger cities. So in 20. I think it was in 2018, I had my first competition um, in our region. It was a very small regional competition. Um, I went like 40 seconds over time. So, but I, I am very lucky to still have finished second in that region. Um, although, you know, went over quite, by quite a bit. And then my first national, the, the following year, and I... I went alone. I had no idea what to expect. So I was like, you know, no one expects good coffee or good coffee professionals to come from Bloemfontein. Um, so I just went at it and, you know, I went to the good coffee, uh, coffee from Honduras, um, paid a lot of money for it. Um, it was the producers, Norma Iris. Um, and then I actually finished seventh that year. Uh, I made like really small, stupid mistakes, as I think many people do in their first like big competition, right? So, and it made me realize that, you know, the next year I can either just try and be better and make finals as or top six, or I can really just like swing for the fences. Um, and that's what I did. <laughs> so that was then in, my national was in 2020. So it was just before COVID had hit. And uh, WBC was scheduled to take place in Melbourne and I desperately wanted to go to Melbourne. And I was like, I can either get there in one of two ways. 
uh, either have to win the barista competition and get there, or secondly, I have to volunteer and like maybe you know hook up a training gig or something like that, you know, to get me there so that I can attend WBC and all of that. And I, my wife was like very pregnant at that point. Uh, oh no, actually, my son was born. He was like four weeks old or something like that. He was born in January, and this was about February. And um, my wife would just pray that I would not win, but I would finish second. And, and so I did. <laughs> I finished second. So, um, and then obviously covered it and, and everything happened from there. And the guy who won, uh, Winston Thomas, couldn't go to Milan um, for the WBC in 2021. And as the rules state, I could go as a deferral candidate. Um, they called me three weeks before competition and said, listen, this is the opportunity you want to go. And I didn't think about it. I was like, yes, I'll go, but I have no money. I'm going like, to have to make a plan. Um, and the board also said, we, we also don't have money, but we're willing to help you and see what you can, you know, what you can do for you. Um, so I went to, to Milan purely just to learn, to see what I don't know, to learn, you know, what the system is about um and it was incredible so i really didn't do great my first espresso is both channeled and i thought it was a great idea to <laughs> um, well i actually had borrowed stems from someone who borrowed stems to me and i've never worked with stems i was like people with wbc users so you kind of have to do it or i thought you have to um and i pushed the stem too close to the drip tray so the reading was like completely off and um, the coffee wasn't as forgiving. So it was like two grams off and coffee didn't taste great. So I decided to rerun those shots because um, I felt like professionalism counts more than, you know, serving people coffee that you know is not on point. Um, I learned a lot from that. Uh, I won't do that again, but anyway. And I managed to then take all the experience, compete in my last nationals, which I then managed to win. Um, this was early this year, actually, um, and then competed in Athens, uh, WBC. So in a nutshell, that's my competition uh, experience. So it's been like a real busy year for you then, starting the year, doing preliminaries and whatnot, and then, you know, becoming the champion, then going yeah. to the Worlds, and now you've already competed again for next season, right? Yeah, it actually gets worse. Um, I've freakishly been approached by people to actually help them as like a coach. Um, so actually in May, I coached a competitor in Kenya, um, Terry. And then I recently coached uh, Rishigesh from, from India as well. Both of them managed to do pretty well, which I'm really thankful for and it's, you know, grateful to be part of their team. So I've been part of like a lot of competitions this year um, and I also coached my my colleague Rieta for her first barista competition um, and she did that in the regional heats um, this past one so it's been a it's been a competition filled here uh, but there's lots of experience that I that I gained through it and I'm thankful for that yeah amazing so I suppose this ties in quite well to something we were talking about online a little bit like you you know you run your own business urban brew barista academy um so you've got to make sure that things make sense and they're financially viable for you because if you're mm. not making a living then you know it's hard to commit time to these competitions yeah true i think uh, i'm i'm like i said i'm very competitive 
Um, and I think I have a, a severe sense of FOMO. Um, so I think I sometimes will say yes to stuff because like it's something that's just so cool. Um, and then in hindsight, like I'll realize like that maybe wasn't the best business decision. So I think I learned enough business to get by, but I'm not like an entrepreneur. I don't see myself as entrepreneurial. I, I mainly work from a place of passion. And I think lots of people in the coffee industry tend to tend to follow that. Um, but it's obviously very important to balance it out and to have that balance to make sure that, you know, your business or your your career is sustaining your lifestyle, you know, and maybe the other way around. Um, so I think I've learned some heavy lessons this year, um, but I'm also paying some heavy prices, you know, monetary, but also just like in general, just with regards to decisions that was made this year. And I think if I can almost segue this into into the next phase, I suppose, would be I've also been contacted by some competitors from, from certain countries that that were so desperate just to get some support. And I can almost see myself years back, not that I'm like a well of knowledge at the moment, you know, but I'm maybe like two steps down the line than, than this barista. Um, but they just have no no support, you know, there's no way that I can charge them any money or that they'll be able to pay for me to go to their country and, you know, help them backstage and stuff like that. So there's just no way. And it really breaks my heart because it really it is something that I would love to do. Um, but I, like you said, it also has to make sense on my side. So I wish I could just do, I wish someone could just pay me to do these things. Um, I suppose that would be the, the ultimate, right? People can pay us just to do competition um, and somehow that would make sense for them. But the reality is not always, you know, like that. Yeah, like this, um, a topic similar to this came up in a, like a, a big coffee WhatsApp group I'm in where people were saying, oh, you never see people who've uh, won a competition enter again to try and win it again. And it's because in a lot of like competitive sports and stuff, they're professional sports people and they're paid to, you know, compete and do these matches and stuff. But once you've become a world barista champion, it doesn't make sense to try and win yeah. it again. Like it's not going to help you no. put any more you know, money or food on the table. No, definitely. I think I think the people that that also still believe that you know people will compete for different reasons um, and not right or wrong. I think it's just different, right? So it, I think people have to figure out why they're competing, and then I think if you, I mean, for me, it was like initially I just competed because I was curious to see where I'm at to gauge my level. But then secondly, as I started my own business, it's like a marketing expense. I was like, if I do well, people will want to work with me as a trainer uh, because there's some credibility um, or some street cred, if you would. Um, but the reality is not always, it's not always that easy or that clear cut either. Um, you know, and, and I think for a large, for a large, you know, portion of time, I convinced myself that it's like that, but it still has to make sense. Um, uh, for example, for the national competition, we were three competitors from this company. And it was like everyone. It's like, it's all of us. So two people competed in Cup Tasters and I competed in Barista. And I said no to business for like an entire month. I said, sorry, we're not taking any business. We'll see you next month. Um, and that had a massive ripple effect. Um, we managed to like, to do very well. I mean, like, you know, we had a cup tasters champion. We had an 
first position, cup chasers, and then like you know, Barista champion. But did that mean that people wanted to just off the bat work with us? It kind of trickled in. Yes, it did, but like not as fast as we would have hoped. And then obviously, like having to pre- prepare for like a world competition, and then on top of everything, pay for everything. Uh, we did we did have support, so I'm not going to say we didn't have any support. We had support. Um, there's still so many hidden costs um, to a competition um, and to be the one competing is like it's a little bit different and it's not like we have a cafe or a roastery that's kind of like turning over day by day month by month it's like it's training so we're selling hours essentially so it made me really think about our model and also like is is competition sustainable for us as a business although I love it you know like but doesn't make sense it doesn't put food on the table um, it's a harsh it's a harsh question yeah like thinking about the you said the hidden costs of competition like mm. at the most your national body will support the champion by paying for flights and accommodation for yeah. you and that doesn't cover like your coach or if you want to get extra bags to bring extra equipment and yeah. then there's, you know, there's the cost of coffee, which if you go to the world championships, it's going to be expensive coffee. And okay. so there's so many other things like equipment. You want nice, shiny new equipment for on stage yeah. and stuff. And yeah. so much of your time not earning money spent focused on competition. It's yeah. um, There's a lot to think about with it. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, I was very lucky. I mean, our national body paid uh, the majority of our accommodation because we wanted to stay longer i just know that i need to be there i need to figure out our surroundings because um, in milan with the whole COVID situation we were only allowed to be in the country for a total of 120 hours wow. so that meant i landed the morning of orientation you know paid like a 150 you know trip to the to the venue um for like a taxi and then competed and I had to miss finals. I couldn't, I couldn't attend finals because like my visa didn't allow that, you know? So, and I mean, I learned from that. I was like, man, I just want to be there before, beforehand. I want to be able to find milk because um, I don't have money to fly milk in or paperwork and stuff like that goes with that, you know? Um, it's not like I'm in Europe and I can just drive the milk with me in my cooler box, you know? So it's, it's not as simple. So, I know that I work better if I'm a little bit more prepared and I know my surroundings a bit better. Um, so that obviously cost us money. So, um, and then wanting to take a team, I couldn't afford um, a coach. Um, I did get some quotes, but I realized like, oh, there's no way that I'll be able to, to afford um, the coach that I would, would like to work with. Um, but then on top of that, I, um, I've been supported heavily. Like there's a roastery in South Africa, Father Coffee, that actually said like, listen, what coffee do you want? And we'll, we'll give it to you. Um, so that's been a massive cost that they took upon themselves. Um, the roasted chat was also there to actually support me. So that was huge. And then I got some, some really cool support that I didn't, I think I didn't take it too seriously. And, you know, at, you know, at that time, uh, cause I, you'll understand as I mentioned it. So, um, Sasha Sestic actually, he was like, listen, we'll support you. Um, with because I used a like a kind of a not a ripoff but like a makeshift technique of compound chilling for my national competition 
And I saw the results. I've been doing it for the past two competitions and I saw the results. So I knew that it works. And, and for my nationals, after winning, he reached out and said, um, hey, dude, like pretty cool. And I said, uh, thank you. But I actually used the technique that, you know, you guys are doing more research on. Now you guys are working on extract chilling. And they actually offered me um, the Paragon Espresso version that, you know, was only released, I think, at WBC or just after. Um, so, and I mean, that was massive. And, and Sasha also like, you know, came to two of my rehearsals, tasted coffee backstage and the experience that I gained through that was just huge. Um, and I mean, there was no, you know, no ask of like, please post this or say this, or, you know, it was purely just open hand and giving. Um, and it was like, that was really cool. Um, so I think from my side, I'd love obviously to be able to do that for others. Um, I think that's, that's, kind of how I'd like to do it but let's see let's see how it pans out yeah it's uh so amazing to receive that support and mm. definitely something that makes you want to pay it forward definitely so the coffee you used this year was a it was a red bourbon right yes and your root, routine yeah, yeah your routine was around like you mentioned innovation tools and connection uh, could you expand a little bit more on that? Yeah, I think I, I had so many things going on in my mind and stuff that I wanted to convey. And I think looking back at my set now, I was like, maybe it was a little bit too much and I could have simplified a little. But in essence, uh, I wanted to communicate because I had these really cool tools that I worked with, um, extracturing being one of them, um, you know, using the pack press, so automized equipment, but then also um, the WDT, um, and we saw the impact of that just on taste. So, um, so I really wanted to work with that, and also I wanted to communicate that. You know, as a trainer, I get this a lot where people almost like shy away from automized equipment because it will quote unquote take away our jobs as baristas, right? But then I see it as like there's actually an opportunity for us to to differentiate, and I feel like you know, the world of automization will grow um, and, you know, technology will continuously like evolve. But one thing that I don't believe it will, it will be able to replace is the human element. It's that connection. It's actually customer service. Um, not just knowing your name, but like commenting on whatever re relationship that we've built on, um, you know, being customer barista, that relationship. So to communicate that, that, you know, these equipment or this equipment doesn't build a wall between us, but it actually facilitates connection. Um, so I actually put my equipment on the judge's table, uh, which is, which is equally, I feel cool, but also risky in the sense that like, if something goes sideways, although they're not your, your technical judges, um, I believe that that is equally risky, but also cool. Um, so although the sensory judges are not there to judge you technically, but they can see if your distributor wobbles a little or if something doesn't look that great, I mean, they're going to pick up on that. And that does, I do believe that it does influence their perception a little on what the coffee could taste like. Um, so I'm so happy I did that. So that was kind of that that um, element. Um, I also blended um, like dairy and oat milk. Um, obviously, like what's well, not the first? I think it's this. What was the first? Yeah, I believe that we could use um, plant-based milk. So I used the blend between oat milk and and um, 
dairy milk and it's a recipe that I've been working on because our national, we were told that we're going to use the new rules. Um, so I started working with this recipe and I absolutely loved it. Um, and then two weeks before they said, sorry, we're not ready uh, back to <laughs> back to dairy. Um, and then the competitor in Kenya, they competed with the new rules. So I was like, if you're open to this, then I, I, I bet you'll be the only competitor using alternative milk. And she was. Um, and the milk drink was just incredible. So I knew that that recipe worked um, from my, you know, my trial and error back at the academy and then in Kenya as well, seeing that, you know, the effects of that. So my milk drink really scored pretty well. I was really, really happy with, with how it turned out. Um, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the essence. And I think then with the signature drink, I tried to bring all these different um, the value chain, you know, like the barista, like like the, the, the different ingredients, almost representing different parts of the value chain. Um, so I used, you know, something to represent the fermentation, you know, Nestor being the producer, um, and then something to represent the barista, which I used a, um, a tea called rooibos tea, and that's like an indigenous tea South Africa. And um, it worked really well with my signature drink. So I used that and just to bring you know, all of these, all of these things together to create something new and something exciting um, and almost like encapsulated in that African term um, that's Ubuntu, which means I am, I am because we are, it's like unity and, you know, it's like a sum of all of its parts. Um, so that was in a nutshell, that was kind of what I tried to, to bring across, but it, it was a lot um, looking back at it now. Yeah, it was a really enjoyable routine to watch and um, there was so much packed into it. Like, I rewatched it a couple of times and I feel like there's always, like, you know, an extra little bit in there. Mm. And that's, I Thank suppose, you. that's one one um, one thing that's really important to think about in competition. Like, last time I competed, I had, like, a really complex routine where mm. I was I was, like, nonstop talking all the way through. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But that that can score the same score as a lot simpler routine um, mm. with a lot more, you know, singular message or point. Yeah. So it's hard to pick what's the right thing to do, you know, where your passions sit and what you want to deliver. So yeah. how do how do you um, tend to come up with your concepts for routines? Man, it, it takes me a lot of time because I generally have this like theme that's like boiling um, and then I have to, I, I chew on it a lot. So I would like create a group um, or like just a folder on my phone. And every time something pops up, I'll, um, I'll just add to that. Um, and I think I'm just like that kind of person. If I'm passionate about it, I'm going to speak about it. So in training, stuff will pop up um, or I listen to loads of podcasts and that's obviously how I, that's how I came to know you um, through through the Hello Judges podcast. Um, thoroughly enjoy the the material, and you know, like stuff will spark um, in listening to various podcasts and various people and what they do, um, and also mistakes that they've made. And I'll add that to to my list, and then I will start the process of refining. So, I think because I spend a lot of time with coffee and, and training, like the workflow and stuff like that, is not it's not. It's not doesn't take the most time for me. Um, I think I'm pretty fluent when, when it comes to that. But making sure that the message is clear uh, takes me the hardest time because I've got like so many concepts brewing around. So, I mean, 
looking back at my set now, there, there could probably have been three different sets that came from that. Um, but, and I think the hardest thing in competition is just focusing on that one thing. What is that one thing and how can you drive it home in every single thing that you do and, and you say? Um, and it can maybe feel boring, but like it can just reinforce the same point. Um, so I think that's something I definitely learned, but also something that I'm definitely working on um, with myself and the people that I get to work with then. Yeah, my, um, I was chatting with my coach earlier in the year and she said to me, like, when, you know, one of the three times he won it, when Maxwell Kelowna Dashwood went to um, WBC, he was the water guy, right? He had a, yeah. he had a very, like, firm thing. It was like, this is what I'm talking about. This is my whole identity now. And she was like, mm -hmm. who do you want to be? Like, if you go to WBC, who do you want the world to see you as? Like, what are you presenting? Because mm -hmm. it's it's quite a heavy, big thing to make a decision on. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like only four judges get to taste the coffee. Five judges get to taste the coffee. But then, you know, the rest of the people look at the set and then what do they walk away with? So we know it's still a game, right? Uh, we still have to play the game. You have to check the boxes and all of that. But I think, and this is where you can decide what competitor you want to be. Um, I'm not saying only play for the crowd. Play the game, like score really well. But like, can you move? Can you move something in the industry? And I think, I think there's lots of stuff to be said against competition. But I, I think that's definitely something a competition. I believe in in my in, from my point of view is succeeding in is like actually moving stuff forward. Um, through innovation, look at all the tools and stuff that's available. I don't think that all of that would have been available if it wasn't for competition. Um, so there's exciting stuff uh, also happening. Yeah, definitely. So your nationals are in March, did you say? Uh, yeah, we, we don't know the exact date. I think it's going to be end of February, early March. Um, so I actually started like just writing some concepts like we like to write on our tables and we can just, you know, erase it uh, with whiteboard markers. And so today I was just like writing uh, a concept on, on the table here. So slowly but surely starting to work towards oh, nationals. Amazing. Yeah, my next question was going to be, how are you preparing? And uh, it sounds yeah. like we're at the concept development stage. Yeah, so that definitely takes me the most time. But if I if I do that well, then then it's so clear and it's so solid. So my last nationals was like that. I want to speak about sustainability, um, not because it's a buzzword. But I actually did a sustainability course online, and it just changed the way that I think about you know not only the coffee industry but like everything involved. Um, and um, I wanted to I wanted to use competition as a vehicle to communicate something that you know shifted in me, and I wanted to hopefully shift people um, that listen to this without moralizing them, you know. Um, so that's kind of the first process for me is like building the concept and, and then finding a coffee that either works with that or just a coffee that I absolutely love. Um, so I'm I don't have any any clear options as of yet because um, there's obviously loads of stuff to to consider like we mentioned cost of coffee and uh, all these things so but i'm definitely starting on my concept it's uh, it's interesting you were talking about like finding a coffee that will either like spark a concept or that you can fit into mm -hmm. you know as is i um 
I was just like clearing up my desktop on my computer today and I found, um, I'll see if I can find it again, but I found a flowchart that I'd made at some point and I'm not sure when I made it, but it was like a flowchart of making decisions for the barista oh, championships. Wow. <laughs> and it was That's like, cool. come up with a concept, then, you know, pick a coffee, refine concept based on coffee, you know then it was like at what point do you pick your milk what point do you yeah. refine your roast oh here it is ukbc flow chart let me just open that up everyone should listen really carefully right <laughs> but like i'm not normally such a like insane planner but I've, for some reason i made this flow chart yeah right interesting concept is the top uh box okay cool go- then it goes on to decide on coffee through blind tasting and then refine concept and script based on this. Cool. Then the next one is decide on milk through blind tasting, try the standard, then try freeze distilled, then consider blends. Oh, amazing. Uh, refine roast profile, then coffee to milk ratio and milk blend, then SIG drink development, deadline to have all equipment, final draft of script, practice it until you can't forget it. <laughs> that sounds pretty thorough. That's about that's about it. There you go, guys. Just Listen. you know, in a nutshell, that's that's how just, to do. Just follow follow these steps, and you'll win rest of competitions, right? Well, <laughs> well, I've not won one yet, so we'll uh, yes. we'll see. Um, see how very powerful, goes. very powerful word that yet, right? Well, you know, we've got such a tough. Um, tough um level of competition in the uk like shout out to all the you know all the uk barista champions because we tend to have a fairly good success at wbc definitely i think maybe as someone from i'm not only speaking about south africa and i don't want to say the word developing country or whatever let me rather say uh, where competition is not as strong just yet. Um, we don't have that success rate at WBC. For example, no South African has ever made semifinals at WBC yet. Um, so we still to break that threshold. But I mean, countries like UK, America, uh, Australia, Canada, they always seem to be right up there. And, and I would like to think that it's that's got to do with the the competition, the the, the level of competition taking place at a, um, at a regional and, and national level. Um, from what I've seen, also I don't know how many competitors you guys have um, in general. Is it like fifty plus or? Yeah, so I think twenty twenty three there was maybe about sixty. Okay, that's a fair amount. But then, but then in countries like in in India, they had two regions. Uh, regional competitions and altogether it was 110 baristas competing um, which was it was enormous uh, I mean the, the they had the one region and the national as one event uh, joined with uh, the World Coffee Conference and, and at that one region I mean I got to the stage and it looked like a, it looked like WBC to be honest um, it was incredible um, they had about 70 competitors in that one region, and they all competed in, I think, two days, uh, which was wild to see, you know, that kind of organization, and then semifinals and, and finals the following day. So I think the point I'm trying to make, it's not necessarily the, the number of competitors, but also the quality of those competitors, and that does take time. Um, if the, the cafe culture is pretty solid in the country, like, I'm hoping that that 
you know, is evident in the quality of the baristas in the country. And then the people that actually does, you know, people that decide to enter in competition and hopefully progress to finals and, you know, champions. Yeah. And obviously there's like a definite um, waiting on like, various socioeconomic factors like the reason one of the many reasons that you always see you know strong competitors in the finals from the uk australia us mm. is because of the just the sheer amount of resource and finance that's available to these competitors in their home countries which you know it's a it's a shame but that is the way it is mm. uh, one thing that like I don't think we talk about, um, you know, Diego Campos enough, uh, Colombia, yeah. you know, yes. world barista champion. And yeah. it was amazing this year. We had Borum Ohm from Brazil. Mm. Like, mm. I definitely think um, the competition and the worldwide, you know, specialty coffee industry is all the more richer for having champions from producing countries. Definitely, definitely. I think it obviously doesn't come without great personal sacrifice uh, um you know time effort yes definitely i mean like um listening to conversations had with with diego just like the amount of work that is put in like you know working in australia for years you know just to learn more uh, not even understanding the language or the culture but just wanting to learn more about coffee um i think that's obviously it's 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 commendable um to say the very least um, and then and I'm sure the same with Boram, like just um, you know, spending, I'm sure, a fair amount of money, uh, uh, you know, getting getting coffees, but also getting to that level um, where, you know, you can actually, you know, be in the running of winning a WBC. So I think from from my from my side, I think, and not and I'm not speaking South Africa only. I'm I, I would like to, not that I'm representing anyone else but myself. But spending time in other countries, I think um, the the point that you made about resources is definitely a thing. And I'm, it's not like pointing fingers to anyone in the UK or America. That's definitely not what I'm doing. It's just like it's a hard reality because uh, of currency, purely currency. I mean, yeah. the, pound, the pound to the rand, I mean, it's like 22, 24 uh, for us. So, I mean, it's a multiplier. These competitions... I don't think I've ever heard of a WBC happening in a producing country. Um, and it doesn't have to be a producing country. Maybe Brazil. Um, years ago, uh, I think it was the, the Brewers' Cup. Yeah. But most of the time, it happens in, in America, Europe, you know, uh, Australia, Asia. Um, and the currency in those countries, most of the time, it's like it's expensive for people with not as great currency or stronger currency to travel. So then everything just becomes more expensive. And obviously, coffee obviously is a, it's got like a, a world currency. Uh, so it's not tied down to one. Um, so I think the level of competition is rough. And I think that's great for me as a competitor. I think it's awesome because if competition gets stronger, then whoever wins have to work harder at national level and then at world level. So, you know, you have to become more more innovative. You know, you have to come up with something really new, uh, which is equally impossible and exciting. <laughs> uh, thinking of music, like which chord progression is ever, you know, is ever like authentic uh, or 
unique in that sense. Um, but anyway, diverting. I think competition is expensive and I don't have the answer to this. I'm just looking at countries that want to start up competitions um, and just like don't have the means to do it because there's obviously fees to be paid to um, the SCA um, to actually have the license to be able to host these competitions. And then, I mean, let's not forget about the judges. Judges are not getting paid to do this. They're also volunteering their time. They have to, you know, pay a fair amount of money if they want to be WC, you know, judges uh, or to be able to judge at a world competition, which is obviously that's the pinnacle. You want to get to that point, but you have to make some really intense um, investments to get to that point. And can people from, and this is maybe highly generalizing, but um, can people from developing countries um, afford this? I think it's a, I'm not saying they should. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just like, it's just a question to be asked. Um, I think it's, it's tough. Let me rather say that. And at the same time, just to clarify, I'm not saying that it's not tough for, for people earning pounds or dollars, you know, um, or francs for that matter. Um, it's just like something intense to consider. Um, and I think that's, when I, that's why I, I appreciate it so much that, you know, people that have received a lot or maybe do have a lot, whatever that might mean for you, actually do open up their hands and just are just generous um, with their time, with their skills, with their resources. I think that's incredible. So that has happened to me. I've had people, you know, open up their hands to me and I'm forever thankful. Um, and I, I think I would love to see more of that in the industry. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, thrown on social media for, for everyone to see. Um, I think it's just like, yeah, take people to the next step and give people like an opportunity yeah definitely like um you know you had your experience with sasha and honor supporting mm. you and previously like they'd done that for martin shabaya from kenya who was in the yeah. finals and yes. you know i think it's it's an amazing thing to see i think i'd love to see more support for competitors that might not have the money to pay for an expensive mm. coach Mm, definitely maybe if i if i if i may um just for my semi-final competition for that year uh, we had the semi-finals and finals like separated so the semi-finals was actually like a glorified regional competition um we only had one regional or and they called it semi-finals and for that year uh, because i had met uh, matthew ts um, and emmy from mame at um, wbc in 2021 um, we had a brief conversation, probably like 10, 15 minutes. And after that, they were like, we had a conversation online and they were very willing. Matthew was like, dude, if you can get your tickets to Switzerland, I'm happy to, to work with you for your competition. Um, and I learned so much. Um, and, you know, there was no invoice sent for that. Um, and, I'm, and I'm forever thankful if I just want to, I just wanted to, to mention Matthew there as well. So people like him, um, Sasha in my life those have been the people for me um and I'm sure there's more there's more people just like even if you res respond to a dm someone asking you a question you respond freely I think that's great um people really appreciate it yeah absolutely also um Matthew's uh routine from was it 2018 he was in the uh, WBC that yes, was such an 
such an awesome routine. He used three different coffees. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's an absolute beast. Um, you were speaking about like you continuously speak in your in your sets, and I think I tend to do the same because I'm a verbal, verbal processor. Can you tell? <laughs> but after my set, Matthew was watching my set, and afterwards he's like, "Man, I don't know what it is with you guys, you native speakers." He's like, you guys just speak all the time, nonstop. And then people are like, I think he was, re- he was referring to a word that Boram had used for, to describe his milk beverage. And he said, what is that word he used? And I said, I think it's decadent. He's like, what is that word? I've never heard it in my life. You know? And I mean, Matthew is very well, well versed in, in English. Um, but he's just like, he's not like native English speaker. And, you know, I think us that... Obviously, English is not my first language either, but we t- I tend to speak it like on a daily basis in my place of work. Um, I think we tend to forget that you know people aren't not everyone is English, so it's going to take them some time to translate or to hear through the accent. Um, and maybe in the beginning of the podcast, you might have to like figure out my accent a little, you know, or as you work with people around the world. Um, so just imagine if you as a barista are communicating really important details that could score your points. And I think we tend to forget that a little. Um, so Matthew taught me that really valuable thing about like clarify, simplify, communicate in simple terms, but to the point. Um, so thank you, Matthew. I'll do that better. <laughs> Yeah, the the language thing is really interesting. So I watched, I think it was on Amazon Prime, there was uh, like a WBC thing. It had like Charles Babinski in it and like some other people. And I think the Japanese champion was called Miki Suzuki. or She had a name along those lines. And it was showing how she was like having English lessons to prepare for the barista championships. Um, it's, It's crazy. Yeah, something we, we don't we don't consider. I mean, uh, remember at WBC the, the competitor and, and please forgive me, I can't remember his name now, but from Japan, he was standing next to me in our post competition interview with the MC and I mean he did his set in English, like fluent, and then he had a translator to translate what the MC was saying. And I mean he realized that these guys didn't only learn their set, but they also had to learn a language. Um, and there's that barrier as well. So, like, imagine the amount of time that would go into that. Um, I think that's that is insane. Uh, like, I, if I had a hat on, I would take it off because, <laughs> like, I think that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Like, hundred percent for non-native English speakers. Uh, like, you don't have to speak English, but mm. it's um, like. I can't remember the last time I saw someone in the finals with a translator, right? Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, so I think it's just like also just feeling fluent and you can carry over your own personality and let the judges feel you um, with the way you speak and the words that you choose to use and the emotion that you put into that, right? So, yeah, respect. Huge respect. Um What's a memorable WBC routine that you love from uh, another competitor? Mm, man, so many. Um, I really, I really enjoy Ben Putz. Um, like I love what that guy's doing because he's he tends to get something really complex over in a. I want to say like he, 
it translates it translates in a way that like you don't feel schooled you know, don't feel stupid by listening to that you feel included and moved um without it being like only emotive and like thin on the inside you know um like cotton candy situation so i think ben does it really well um and he always obviously pushes the envelope like you know innovation machine so like i have mad respect for for what he does um i i tend to enjoy um Matthew's sets, uh, just with like, he's very animated when he communicates. Um, and if you, if you understand the way that he thinks and you look at his set, it's like, it's really, really good. And then I really enjoyed um, Danny's set this year. Um, it was like true Danny fashion. So I, I really thought that that was really, really great set. Uh, I remember watching his set in, in Milan in 2021. Um, and I thought that was incredible. I think he finished top 10 that year. Uh, which is already incredible for his first WBC. Um, and this year, definitely ramped that up a notch. So that was up the top of my mind. Those are the ones that, you know, stands out for me at the moment. Amazing. I should, um, I feel like I should build a YouTube playlist of all the ones that people recommend on the podcast. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> what but are yeah, your favorites? Like, oh, my, so I mentioned uh, Matthew before because um, I think maybe sunday um mm. actually i was like mm, i need to start trying to memorize my script i need to do some work and and i was like i'll just watch a couple of other like you know past ones to inspire me and i put that on because it's like i like the ones that are like engaging and different and mm. like you said ben putt's always really good like this yeah. year he packed so much into that routine and it was there was so much technical stuff to it, but it never felt difficult. It was so no. like easy and pleasant to watch. Yeah. Um, I do um I mentioned it before, but I do like Charles Babinski. Like I think he made it to WBC once, but if you see yeah. some of his USBC finals routines, I like the way he presents. Mm. That's very cool. I never had the opportunity to see him. Um, but I did see snippets in that movie that you were referring to. I yeah. did see snippets and like of his journey. Um, so that's great. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else you were hoping to talk about before we sort of wind things down? Um, no, I think I think we've touched on various things, and I didn't burn my fingers <laughs> with saying stupid stuff. Uh, so I'm happy with that. I was very uh, hesitant, you know, coming on. Um, being a verbal processor can get you into trouble, I'm sure, at, at times. But I think, you know, I thank the people that I wanted to thank. And, you know, I think competition is great. It's not everything, but, like, it is great to, to push the industry forward. And, I mean, I'm sure if it wasn't for competition, we would never have met. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know, maybe. So, um, and, like, it connects you to a wider audience. And I think that's incredible. Um, I'm very thankful for coffee in that sense. Um and I, I look forward to connecting with more people and sharing what I have, you know, in my hands. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a really good um, message to wrap things up on, like the community, not just within your own country and your own, you know, specialty coffee scene, but the sort of global scene, like, is so positive and so welcoming. And I hope it stays that way. Yeah, definitely. I think if we just, uh, I believe, like, you find your tribe, um, so if, if that's really what you want to do, and you said earlier, like that's what you want people to remember you as, then hopefully it, 
remains that way. And you'll find more people that actually carry the same DNA. Um, so I'm trusting that that to be the case. And yeah, thank you so much for having me, Will. Uh, when is your nationals? Oh, well, much, uh, much like yours with the, uh, with the finals and stuff. It's not been announced yet, but we just had okay. yesterday um, our new SCA committee announced. Mm. Um, so we've got a new national coordinator and stuff. Uh, typically, it's usually around like January, February, we have the heats. Okay, cool. Um, so I would think it probably will be around then because World of Coffees, like, mm. uh, what is it, April? It's in, uh, I think it's in May. Yeah. Busan is happening in May, but Chicago is happening in April. So it's going to be, I mean, for South Africa, like, to get a visa, man, that's, I mean, that's a whole different conversation. Getting a visa for, for, for some people is a big deal you know it's very yeah. difficult um man i mean anyway let me not get into it now <laughs> but i think uh for us it's going to be difficult because we're going to have to get like you know american visas for whoever wins latte art i believe latte art and cup tasters because we don't have brewers cup in south africa yet yet right scarza <laughs> and then <laughs> Barista will be taking place in Busan. So it's going to be a pretty bumpy ride. It's, everything's going to happen so quick because, I mean, if we're competing in March, it's two months basically, and then it's WBC. So it's going to be rough, but we are we're here for it. Yeah, so I guess if you're planning to win the uh, South African Barista Championship, you want to do it with a, a routine that you can just take to the World Championships. That is the plan, my friend. That is the plan. Let's see if we can uh, put something together. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak to me today, Steve. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks, yeah, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to Hello Judges. I had a great time chatting with Steve about his experience at WBC and about the competition scene in South Africa. The conversations about accessibility and language barriers were also really great to have and I think they're ones that we need to keep having. Make sure you subscribe to stay up to date. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email me at hellojudgespodcast at gmail.com. We're going to let this podcast cool down a little to the optimum drinking temperature. Please do not assess until after I have called time. Thank you. Time. <laughs>